everybody, and welcome to Coach's Corner. I'm really excited to bring you this episode because I think it's perfect timing for the holidays. Maybe you just had Thanksgiving, you're gearing up for the holidays, more time with family, and we talk about how to have more conscious connections, healthier relationships with yourself and others in this episode. My guest today is Talia Fox. She is the CEO of Kusai Global. She holds an MED in counseling psychology from Howard University, and she's a Harvard University fellow. She's an inspirational leader in every sense of the word. She's often referred to as the Jedi of inspiration by her clients with over two decades of experience in transforming thousands of executives from all kinds of sectors. She's become a visionary for leadership and legacy building. Her very extensive background in psychology and education has given her the tools she needs to assist leaders and all people in developing successful strategies for complex missions. She has a new book coming out, The Power of Conscious Connection, and she takes us through a couple of the processes in this book on the episode. She even coaches me and takes me through a beautiful shift. Before we dive in, I want to alert you to a special I'm having on my mastery program. That's my most comprehensive, broadest course that I offer. It really is a course about how to shift something in your life so that you can free yourself from your past, change your present, and get more of what you really want. I have a Black Friday deal for 200 off. Just go to christinehaster.com slash mastery and enter the code GRATEFUL200 in all caps in the promo code box at checkout and you will get $200 off my mastery course. Again, christinehaster.com slash mastery. I also want to thank my sponsor for this week, which is Organifi. In honor of National Pumpkin Day, they are doing free shipping on all orders with gold pumpkin spice through the end of the month. They're also having some really great Black Friday, Cyber Monday deals that you're going to want to check out. You can stock up on all your green juice, red juice, immunity, all the good stuff. Remember, you always get 20% off with promo code over it. Or if you go to Organifi.com slash over it, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash over it. All right. And now on to my conversation with Talia. Talia, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. So great to be here. Thanks for having me, Christine. Yeah. So it's Thanksgiving week. It just was Thanksgiving. And I had a thought in my yoga class this morning. I haven't been to yoga in like a really long time. So it was a really big deal for me to be there. And the yoga teacher was talking about just preparing for the holiday and being with family members and the stress of that and, you know, get any anger out on your matter. And there's sort of this acceptance that time with family is stressful and time with family pushes our boundary. Yet we all go do it. And I was sitting there thinking, why is this like, why do we make jokes about it? And why is this okay that we just accept and assume that time with family is going to be stressful and people are going to push our buttons and we just go out of like obligation. I'd love you to speak a little bit about why we do this obligatory thing in life and relationships. Well, you know, I think that the underlying thing, and I know for me, I really love my family. And I think that there's so much about being with them that's wonderful. Yet I also am aware every time family gets together that there are a lot of unresolved conflicts and issues and triggers. 
And it's very interesting because in other, with other relationships and other people in my life, you know, we don't have the history. We don't have these triggers that have gone unresolved. So, you know, I do think that there's a payoff right on the other side. It's really important to see that there's so much going on that we love, but it also is important to see that there may be some things that we need to address one of the things that I have found, Christine, and I'm so happy that you talked about being a yoga because I think <laughs> that's good preparation for being with family. So here is my big epiphany in life. Typically, when I am feeling really good about where I am in life, I feel a lot less obligated and agitated with my family. But if I go around my family and I'm having trouble in my relationships, work isn't going well, I feel like there's something going on with my dreams or my path there's this little thing inside of me. I have some theories around what it is, but I don't know if it's blaming my family. I don't know if I kind of look at them differently, but my ability to feel good around anyone is seems to always be connected to my how I feel internally at the time. So- Yep, that whole outer experience is a reflection of inner reality thing. is <laughs> so yes, true. Yes. It's so true. And I think that there's, and I love everything you said, and I completely agree. And I think that, doesn't just apply to family. It's how we treat a waiter. It's how we are with our friends. Like if things are not feeling great, things are just tougher. But you're right. I second the fact that we have history and some unresolved history with family. So I want to unpack that a second and go, all right, if we have unresolved history, how do we resolve it? And, and then secondarily, if we have family members that just are not coming to the party in terms of being willing to work on resolving those issues and they're just toxic, or maybe that's the wrong word, unhealthy, where do we draw the line? Yeah, I think the first step is to make the distinction between quirks and preferences that we have as people. So for example, we have to be around different types of people and people can really get on our nerves. <laughs> it's just the yeah. reality. This <laughs> happens at work. This happens with family and they do things. I have some family members. I just don't, you know, there are ways that they communicate. There are things that they do. I even have friends like this. There are these little pieces that irk me a little bit. So there's one side. And, and that is the side for my inner work to say, okay, what can I do to not be as agitated by these small things? Because it really is this person being themselves and expressing themselves. So that's on one end of the continuum. As we begin to move to the other end, and the other extreme is bullying, abusive behavior. I, you know, sometimes it can even be narcissistic behavior where they're only worrying about themselves, emotionally manipulating you. That's where we check in with ourselves and say, wait a minute, this behavior that's persisting over time, not just the holidays, not only is it making me feel bad, it's kind of threatening who I am and threatening my capacity to take good care of myself. And so in those instances, I think it's really important for us to, to kind of understand that continuum so we can, one, get some support around that, or two, you know, my book is called The Power of Conscious Connection. And in the book, there is a caveat that says there is sometimes that we have have to have a conscious disconnection and this idea of understanding where we are on the spectrum and what we have to do to take care of ourselves and connect is really critical. I think because our relationships with our family is so important that it really deserves some thinking around what is going on here and what's the distinction between being agitated and being you know, completely dismissed and abused is really important. 
Yeah, I love that distinction because buttons get pushed and we can get irritated sometimes. But being abused, dismissed, constantly having boundaries pushed, really not being respected, having things that are super important to us questioned or challenged or ridiculed. I think that there's a a point where where teasing does become abusive. And what I find in working with people for so long is what prevents the conscious disconnection. And I want to bookmark conscious connection because of course I love that book title. I love that phrase and I want to unpack what you really mean by that. But often what prevents that um, conscious disconnection is so much obligation. And then also the fear of, well, but if I disconnect here, what do I have? So how do we work around those fears of obligation and potentially, you know, being kind of cast out of the only connection that we might have? Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting because there's not an easy answer. And I think that it's a very personal decision that people have to make around how they're feeling and the way that we may have to unravel or disconnect. And there are different versions of that. I have helped a lot of people spend significantly less time with a family member and set some particular boundaries or get some constant support around, okay, we're just going to do holidays, but in between we won't be together. And then you have a plan for those holidays. Sometimes when people disconnect from other people in the family, it it impacts the entire unit. And so it's really complicated. And I don't want to just say there's no right answer. It's just complicated. But I, I the, the strategy here is to honor the complication and honor how difficult it is. And because it's so difficult, there's a level of patience. There's a level of, of listening and observing what's happening. There's a level of grace for yourself. There's also a level of hope around the idea that I have seen people make new choices. Not that we want to fix people, not that we want to change, but they're, I'm amazed at how things can get better as we begin to kind of work on ourselves, identify some really great communication strategies, really observe specifically what's going on and manage those triggers. And so I think that those kinds of things are, are helpful and what I find that people do is they really make very rash decisions and they end up losing on both ends. They don't want to be around the family member, but then when they disconnect, they don't have any relief either because then they feel completely, you know, sad and lonely. And so to give yourself the opportunity to have a vision of the possibility of there being a new way of being and a win-win in, in multiple situations. I, I love that. And I can think of in my own life where that's happened. And I can also think of times when I've had to do that conscious disconnection and someone's just out of my life and that's been the healthier decision. So I know it was a challenging question (laughs) and there really is no, there really is no easy answer. I just know that this time of year, there tends to be a lot of people feeling that obligatory pressure. And I always inside myself and when I work with clients go, okay, let's not do things out of obligation. You know, let's really do things from a place of truth and love. And how can we show up in a way that doesn't deplete us? And so much of, of that can be, you know, just how we show up in the situation. You know, do we show up with allowing ourselves to be triggered easily, you know, not allowing someone to kind of keep prodding and poking us with the same questions or maybe spending too much time with a certain person or kind of going in 
expecting the worst and then getting it. So I think it's both the, it's a both and, right? It's the, yeah. Okay, where can I have some boundaries and disconnect a little bit, but where can I also show up differently and see if that impacts the situation in any way? Yes. Because I do believe we teach people how to treat us. Absolutely. You know, what's been really helpful, Christine, is I think many people globalize situations. What I mean by that is we get this story in our head, this narrative about how things are, and then we even expect the triggers. And, you know, we kind of have this whole idea of how we are in the family. And I really encourage people to take it one minute and one hour at a time, because if you kind of look at it, you go into the day and maybe one day you're overextending yourself and you feel depleted. You notice that at like seven o'clock at night and you stop and you say, okay, it's time for me to make a nice dinner, take a bath and read. I've done enough today. Then the next day, maybe you have all of this energy and you want to do all these things for your family, but at one o'clock you feel really tired and you're like, okay, this is my time to ask for help. And it's okay for me to stop and to just sit and be for just a moment. I've actually been doing that over this holiday. It it feels like a big success because I am a major overextender, a major doing too much. And sometimes it's one extreme or the other. I either am doing too much and then I get resentful and I don't want to do anything at all, but I'm taking it one day at a time, seeing where my energy flows and staying in what you said, that truth and love of, I love doing a lot, but I'm going to pay attention to when it's too much and give myself that, that patience and that grace. Well, I love that for you. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that for everyone. And I think we can get addicted and even over-identified with overextending and doing too much and and sort of get so good at it that we don't even realize we're doing it to an extent. So I love that awareness and to go, okay, I'm going to actually check in. That's one of the most self-honoring things we can do is really just check in and go, hmm, what do I need today? What's my energy level today? How does this feel versus like waking up with this to-do list and pushing ourselves, even if like we actually don't have the energy or the desire to do it. And of course, there are times in life where we've got to do stuff we don't want to do when we're really tired. But that overextending, I'm so glad you named that because I see so many people, particularly women, doing that. And then we just pile in this like bucket of resentment that we just carry around until one day we're like, oh my gosh, I'm so angry and resentful, but I kind of said yes to all this. So taking that responsibility and making that self-honoring choice is so important. I want to go back to conscious connection because I don't want to assume anything. How do you define conscious connection? So I love the concept because I think about it quite a bit. So it's the power of conscious connection and conscious connection is probably not what many of us think. We think it's about relationships and about being together. And it's actually about us as individuals being aware of what's happening around us and connected to our power to make a difference in that reality. And so we can't control our connections. We can't control what other people are doing and how we're being connected, but we can control the way that we're showing up and the consistency of the habits that we use in order to feel awake and alive and connected to everything and everyone. So one of the things that I really love is looking first at how connected we are to ourselves before we look out to how we're connected to anything in the world, be it our job or another person. Do you have any practices that you use and teach for us to 
one, evaluate how connected we are to ourselves consciously and then practices to increase that connection. I love that, that you're sharing around this connectedness to ourselves. Cause in, in the book, it's a lot about habits that we would use to connect with other people. And can we kind of boomerang those habits back to ourselves? So a couple of practices, there's a process that I've been using for 15 years and I use it in my own life. Everything that I talk about, it's because I've used it and I get excited about it because it's been just life altering and it's called the art of the shift. And so one of the things that I have people do is go on a 90 day listening diet. And you're not only listening to other people and taking in, at least listening is the portal to wisdom. So you're taking in stuff, but you're listening to your thoughts. So really paying attention to what it is you're thinking and how your thinking is impacting how you're feeling and how those feelings are impacting what you're choosing. And what's interesting about this is I recommend that people become very structured around this. I'm a little type A, so there's room to remix this for people that are more relaxed, but I actually put on a timer and I know that we have a practice of meditating where you quiet your mind. I have a practice of meditating for 15 minutes where I let my mind do whatever it does, but I kind of pay attention to what is it doing and why is it doing that and start to kind of redirect the, the thinking and the ideas that I'm the the narratives that I'm saying about myself that I'm thinking about other people because for me in the beginning of the day if you can do that you can kind of catch <laughs> all of the weird squirrely stuff that goes on that really impacts our happiness and our connection with ourselves and with others I love that and when you catch it what do you do do you redirect your thought do you write something down what's your practice for when you catch it yes yeah, so there's a very good way to see what you need to catch very simple. Are the thoughts energizing you or are they de-energizing you? Mm. And so are they discouraging you or are they encouraging you? And it doesn't matter what the thoughts are. I think many people, we just have thoughts, we have worries. And, you know, for me, I, I will allow those thoughts to happen for a moment, but I really pay attention to how it's depleting me. The thoughts are depleting, right? Not even necessarily the actions. And I have crafted for myself, and I show you how to do this in the book, a stream of thinking, different kinds of thoughts, different ideas that are personal to me that instantly kind of uplift me and put me in a different state of mind. And I typically craft that based on an awareness of what's really important to me. And that is what kind of drives the language that I want to be having in my brain about things. Okay. Can we do like a real life example? Yes. Let's do it. <laughs> okay. Okay. We can use me if we want. Okay. Okay. So let me think of like what <laughs> the so, million I, things that are in my mind. Yeah, Do you want to guide me through it. something? Okay. Perfect. Perfect. So Christine, so tell me just anything that's going on. If you have a problem or a challenge these days, pick anything that you'd like. I, I don't sleep. You don't sleep. Mm -hmm. I and, wake up every day between three and 4am. I cannot get back to sleep and I have tried so many things and, and I've always been a good sleeper. And it's okay. Really and <laughs> Oh, it's <laughs> happening for you. And how is that impacting your life? So tell me what problems that getting up at three or four a.m. is causing. It's starting to cause some health problems. It is stressful. I feel like I can't do a lot of the things I want to do because I'm really tired. I really want to have more energy for my daughter. I mean, she really gets all I have. It's impacting my marriage because at night, I just, if I'm waking up at three or four, I want to go to bed at eight or nine. So at least I get some sleep. 
And I definitely think it's impacting the impact I can make because I'm depleted. Okay. So I hear, I hear that. So the depletion, it's impacting relationships, work, mm-hmm. feeling tired, health problems. That's a really pretty big issue for you. What are three things, if you just had to give me three words that are most important to you, three values? Health, growth, connection. Health, growth, connection. Okay. So I'm going to hop into your brain and we're going to do a little bit of a shift. (laughs) Have fun. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, Wow. I am so grateful right now for this awareness that this sleep is causing me some issues and it feels really, really hard. I feel exhausted and I'm feeling like uh, there is a roller coaster of challenges in my life right now. I'm really excited that I've identified that I have a very specific problem that's impacting my health because I have so much experience with transformation and change. I love the idea that I can rest my mind sometimes and I am getting some sleep. I'm really excited about figuring this out. I'm really hopeful that even tonight or even tomorrow that this situation is going to move very gently to a really good solution. I love that I'm a new mom with my baby. I love my husband and there's so many things in my life right now that are going well. I'm grateful that this sleep thing is absolutely feels hard, but in the bigger scheme of things, I have all of the tools and the resources and the wisdom for it to be a very small little bump in the road on the canvas of all of the joy that I have going on in my life. I'm wondering if there's some meditation or something that that three or four o'clock is telling me. I'm wondering if I can wake up and do some meditation and then go back to sleep. Whatever the solution is, I feel really excited about how this is going to help me grow. As I think about how important my connections are with my baby and with my husband, as I think about how important my health is, I'm excited about the opportunity to have breakthroughs and transformations because everybody knows that that's what I am all about. So right now, the sleep thing, yeah, I'm a little bit tired, but I'm so grateful and hopeful and confident that this is just a bump in the road that will be resolved immediately. Okay, so I'm cutting that out for myself and listening (laughs) to that at 3 (laughs) a.m. That was so delicious and so true. All of it was true and such a beautiful... Okay, so what did you just do to my brain? So... And I'm glad that you asked that question just to your to your brain. Is there things that are important to us? And sometimes when we have problems, it becomes very stressful. And we need someone outside to kind of help hack the brain. Because all these things you already know, it's all of your wisdom. But being tired and then observing that this issue is having this snowball effect in our lives, we need to kind of change the narrative. And what's interesting about it is sometimes it will relax the brain. It will make the problem really, really small. And I have hope you might sleep a little better tonight, or maybe you'll wake Mm -hmm. up at three, do a little something. You know, Wayne Dyer says that there are secrets that the world tells us at three or four o'clock in the morning. I'm wondering if you're just so connected that you're getting Mm -hmm. up at that time because you are in that space of such great wisdom. And so maybe there's a solution of not necessarily sleeping, but maybe there's another schedule for you. So I don't know, but you know, it's not necessarily the solution, but for your brain to be in a space where you're really open for that solution to just come to you and for it to be really easy and beautiful. Mm. 
Oh, I love that. And that was so, and you have an amazing voice too. I was just like, huh, this is going to sound so good at 3am. I can't wait to listen. And what I'm wondering and what I hear my audience asking is, okay, she just did that so great. How do I do that to my own brain? Because that just flowed out of you so effortlessly. And for people that, that may be a little challenged with that, how can they do that for themselves? Yes. So I think what would be wonderful is, and by the way, there's a little bit of a rhythm that goes with it as you're speaking, just kind of you're, you're, you're flooding your brain with your values. And so you can keep it really simple. The art of the shift is literally sit down and say, okay, and we can have any problems. It might be, you know, a problem with a relationship. It could be a health issue. It could be dealing with parenting And you say, what is really important to me? And just try to flood your brain with all of the things that are amazing and good and important to you. (laughs) And again, it does require you to craft some language, but I, I would recommend if you want a very actionable step, take 15 minutes, put a timer on, get a pencil and paper, write down your three values, and then you know, allow yourself just to brainstorm, stay focused on what's important. Um, I hope I was able to show that I really was focused on health and growth and connection. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that was the core of everything that you want to flood your brain with. Mm, I love that. So good. And so if people do write it out for themselves, could they make a little voice recording and just listen to that when they notice themselves in a problem or thinking about a problem too much, can it be something that we just record and listen to, or is it better to do like in the moment each time? So I will say there are two things here. One is for you to sort of, for all of us to be in the habit of listening to our thoughts and the practice of shift, being able to shift ourselves as we go to the conscious connection part of having relationships, if you can find a shifting partner, that would be amazing. So my sister is my shifting partner. And Mm -hmm. I literally, if I have negative emotions, if I have anxiety, I will call her and I'll say, can you, I've taught her the process and can you give me a shift? And so she'll ask me, what are your values? She doesn't assume just because she's my sister. She'll say, what are your values right now in this moment? What are those three words? And then she begins to just kind of tell me what she sees, a different perspective on everything that's going on. And it works pretty instantly. There is some science to this that I think is really critical. When we are triggered and when we're feeling upset, we can't think clearly. And so the shift is a real hardcore leadership strategy that I use Mm -hmm. so that I can get back Mm -hmm. online really quickly and access clear thinking. It's so good. I feel the difference in me. So thank you. Thank you for that that shift and that gift. That's so good. I want to talk a little bit. Another thing the holidays can bring up for people is feeling really alone. You know, as life kind of slows down and people spend time with family and all of that, or even uh, we can be with a lot of people and still feel alone. So two-part question. First, why do you feel in this increasingly connected world, digitally anyway, the epidemics of loneliness is the epidemic of loneliness is increasing. And second, like, what do we do about that? Both for ourselves, if we're feeling it, and if we're not feeling it, how can we help other people who may be feeling it? Absolutely. You know, one of the reasons I think that we are all feeling disconnected is because I think with social media, there's a lot of, how do you call it? you're putting on airs, right? You're not being true to yourself. People are posting pictures. Your highlight reel. Yeah. Yeah. Your highlight reel. And 
the lack of authenticity makes us feel lonely, even if we're surrounded around people. That feeling of obligation is a way of being fake, right? You're doing something with a smile, but you're doing it out of obligation, not out of truth and love, right? So that's there's a level of that that is a little bit fake. It's very interesting. I had a coach that was so hardcore. I don't really recommend the way that she coached, but I told her that I was a people pleaser. And she said, you're a liar, I see. And I was like, a liar? No, I'm a people pleaser. I'm not a liar. And she said, well, you, you're constantly pleasing people and you're doing it, sacrificing things that are really important to you. But sometimes that strong language just kind of jolts you because I, 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 I did it a little more gently for myself, but to say, in which ways can I be more authentic? And the more authentic we are, the more connected we can be. Now, the thing with authenticity that I think is important is that I think we confuse our personality authenticity with just poor social choices. There are some people that are interacting with each other and they're just not doing it in a way that that is going to feel good in any relationship. So if there is constant teasing, if you're constantly sarcastic, if you can't listen and you're cutting people off, if you feel like, you know, your ideas and your truth is the only truth out there, like there is a level of, are you fun to talk to? And are you fun to be around? I hate mm. to kind of put that in, but we, we want to yeah. assess that a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And don't say like, this is just how I am. No, there are some things that I can do to be a better friend and be a better listener and, and be more connected is, is a piece. I actually do a lot of coaching with people. And these are women that are in my life that are single. Some of them just have a hard time during the holidays, but there's a process and there's some skill to making friends and building community. It's not something that comes natural. I'll just say this last thing. I think that when we think these things are just supposed to be natural and organic, we are in right. a complete alien world that we fail because we actually do need support and need skills to build the kind of communities and to build the kind of relationships that we desire. I agree. It, it does take work and we have to look at, not in a self-deprecating, self-critical, self-beat kind of way, how we show up to the party. Yes. I remember one time in my 20s, I had a friend break up with me and she just kind of distanced herself. And then finally, years later, I, I confronted her about it. And she just said, to be honest, Christine, you were just really negative. Like something was always wrong. You're going through a hard time. And I just, I just couldn't have the space for it. And I was like, ouch. And thank you. <laughs> thank you for that. That's a really good reflection because I, I do believe that authenticity is being able to be vulnerable and come to friends with, you know, challenges and things like that. And if that's all we're bringing to the table, it can be kind of draining to be around. So I love that you presence that because the temptation can be to kind of get into this victim place and say exactly what you said. This is just who I am versus really looking at, okay, is it who I am or is it a protective pattern? Is it my insecurities? Like how can I be a more authentic aligned version of myself and act actually put effort into my relationships? And I know for me, the end of my twenties and early thirties was when I really worked on friendship because I had a really tough like social school life definitely wasn't good at making friends. There's just a lot that happened there. And so I, I didn't really know how to do it. And so I was very lonely and I had to learn how to make connection, how to build friends. So that brings me to my next question, which is for people that may be struggling with loneliness or feel like they're not really connected, what are some things they can do to start building relationships? Yeah. So I think it's important to say, I feel lonely. So my first step 
for those that are in that feeling place is to say, is that the feeling or is that the fact? Like, do you have access to people and are there people around and you're, you're kind of, you're choosing or you're just, you're kind of sifting through your relationships to have more meaningful relationships. That may be one side. Then there are other people that they're really feeling lonely. They're really feeling disconnected and there isn't the presence of individuals that are coming in and out of their lives. I would definitely do a shift and have some gratitude and some excitement around everything that, that a little loneliness and a little bit of time to think and to grow and to work on ourselves brings. And then to lighten up about it and say, there are lots of opportunities for me to be more connected with people. Let me put on my list that maybe over the next three or four months, I'm going to have a 15 minute timer, send an email and even start with with connections. You can do it at work. You can do it personally. Ask people to have coffee or do a 15 minute this. And I I would say, don't overdo it. You might say one or two times in a quarter. It's very interesting. I have a friend that sometimes talks about being lonely. And we had this really interesting conversation because I feel like she wants us to hang out more. And Mm. I see her sometimes, if I see her once a month, I feel like that's a lot. I expect us to see each other once a quarter. And so for her, she's like, no, I really would love a community where I'm seeing people every weekend, right? And we just have different life situations. And so that's the other thing too, is we have to call ourselves on how much is enough interaction? What's too much? And who are the people that you're interacting with? Like what's going on? We need a little bit more understanding of what that is to make sure that you're maintaining expectations. Because as adults with families, you know, getting together with people once a month, maybe that is good enough for some. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. That was a big thing for me because I had my daughter in my forties and all my friends were having kids when I was single after my divorce, like building my career. And so I'd be like, let's grab dinner or let's do this. And they'd be like, uh, I can't do that. I have a child or I have a soccer game or whatever. And I really had to decide at that point, like, okay, in order to have these friendships, I'm going to need to come do the family stuff and be okay that I'm the single unmarried one, or I'm going to get, you know, once a quarter dinner because that's really all this person can do because she's got kids. And it was a, a, luckily I had some tools at the time to not take that personally. And now that I am a mom, I get it even more. Yes. But I love that you presence that is that really looking at where people are in their life and not taking it as rejection if they can't be as available as you necessarily want them to be. To still nurture the friendship, nurture the relationship, but meet somebody where they're at. Because it can be kind of a turnoff if someone's wanting more and you're like, uh, okay, this is starting to feel like pressure and that's not super fun. So just knowing where we're at and what we can give and you know what other people can give us. One of the things that you talk in your book about is a habit called love, L period, O period, V period, E period. Can you take us through that? Yes. Yeah, so it's it's really funny. My youngest son actually told me that this was the acronym of love because I had the skills kind of mixed up. And then it, when we unscrambled it, it made the acronym love. So oh, I have, and, and I know you've done this as well. I've gone through so many self-help books. I've read literally hundreds of leadership books. You know, I studied leadership and, and did a fellowship at Harvard and just kind of, there was, there's so much stuff. And one day I was sitting down and I said, you know, I love hacks and I love cheat sheets. Mm -hmm. And so 
what is the consistent theme? I also think about this with dieting. Like at the end of the day, you have to have vegetables, protein, <laughs> and a complex <laughs> carb. Like it doesn't yeah. matter what you decide to do. Like it ends, that's the road. And so this love system that I call it, there are four habits that sum up what I like to say, the 10,000 hour rule for mastery of personal development Mm -hmm. of leadership. They sum up, if you went through all of your books at the end of the day, these are the four things that you need to do to transform the way you live and the way you lead anything. And the first habit is listening. And I I don't want people to turn their heads and say, yeah, yeah, listening. I've heard it all before. Listening is a, a, a mastery and an art of how you listen, when you listen, and the portal to wisdom. And I think that we're, our listening skills are decreasing so much that those that do listen become these geniuses and they have such an edge in the world when you mm-hmm. master that art. The second one, the O is observation. So this is for those that want to be super smart, uh, connected to everything like Sherlock Holmes, the power of observation, practicing how things are, how we're interdependent, how things are related is really, really critical. The third, which we already did a little bit of the art of the shift, are values, understanding what's important to you, understanding what's important to others, being able to to operate across different cultural norms. All of those things support us in being more connected, not only to ourselves, but to others. And then the last one is the art of engagement, E. So listen, observe, value, engage. And so in engagement, that is mastering communication, being clear, being concise. And really, you use this word love and truth. What is that? And how can you express it in a way that feels very authentic? Mm -hmm. And so that system, you wake up and you commit yourself to getting better at those things and to practicing those things daily as a practice. I want to unpack the listening a little more. I so agree with you on everything that you said about that. And it is one of the reasons I have the career I do is I listen and ask you this question first. Do you think some people are just natural listeners and some just have to work on it? Or is it a skill we all have to work on? That's a really good question. I think, I always think that there's some level of nature involved in the Mm -hmm. choices that we make and how things happen. But I think that the way that nature evolves over time are these habits that we practice that we don't get called on enough. And one thing I love about the corporate world, there's lots of complaints about the corporate world, but people are kind of forced because the consequences are high to work on being better listeners than maybe they would be if they were left to their own devices. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I, I can tell people that have been in the corporate world for a very long time, and even those that have really difficult personalities, they tweak it just a little bit when the stakes are high, right? And they seem to be able to figure out what what to do. I think that we have these listening styles or preferences, but under these listening styles and preferences, we're trying to get needs met. So in the book, I talk about someone being a plugger. And what I mean by being a plugger is every single time you say something, they're trying to kind of plug in something that they're doing, or they're trying to kind of make some connection to themselves. And part of that is that they they really want to be valued or there's something that they're ex- experiencing. And so they become a listener that's that's very self-centered in a sense, mm. right? And then you have the helper. Those are people, they're not just necessarily plugging things, but they cut you off constantly. In our work, you know, therapists or different people, they can do this sometimes where it's like you're cutting off constantly and trying to give solutions and trying to, mm-hmm. to give so much support 
when that person really needs you to listen and you're not really listening to the full context of what they're saying, that supporter, they're doing two things. Sometimes they're avoiding their own issues. (laughs) And secondly, they're really trying to get that validation. Like they want to feel like that person leaves getting a lot of value when sometimes it's okay not to give so much of that. I, I of course, have have to work on that because of what I do for a living. (laughs) And so these listening styles that we have, they represent these underlying desires and needs that we have as people. And so it's a great personal development exercise to pay attention to your style of listening and how anxious or not you get in the presence of someone just trying to tell you something, (laughs) right? So, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I love that. I want to ask you a personal question, if that's okay. So you shared before we started recording that you're in a a phase of life where your motherhood is starting to look different because you've got kids that are leaving the nest to use the the phrase that everyone understands. Um, That's a topic that comes up a lot on the show, especially women that call in of, wow, I've like been doing this mom thing for so long and now my kids are gone and I'm looking back on who I am. And, you know, you've had a robust career and a passion for things. And I'm just curious if those questions have come up for you and in that to other women that are in this chapter of motherhood, anything that's been really helpful for you as you navigate this transition? Yeah. So I'm always thinking about what my experiences are trying to teach me. So I'm with you around valuing growth, right? And so Mm -hmm. For me, I'm in this transition where I have a son that graduated from college, and then I have a high schooler that's about to graduate from high school. And my whole identity has been a single mom that just had to take care of her children and and worked really hard. And now my life is just different. I'm not in this struggle. My Mm. children are very independent. And so what I started to do, which again, this book is actually a reflection of this question. It might be the most important question that anyone could ask me because I said, what is it that I really want to do in this world? And what do I want to accomplish? And how can I get the need of, or the desire to be purposeful met? And so I decided to double down. I mean, I'm a CEO and a leadership strategist, but I decided to double down on my truth. This book had some interesting behind the scenes stuff because I wrote it. It's the power of conscious connection. I use the acronym love, but I do some pretty high level strategic stuff with some very high level people and serious things. But this book was a reflection of my real stories, my experiences. And it's also my way of beginning to express myself in the world that's beyond the story of motherhood is in there, but that's beyond my identity as a mother, a a previously struggling business owner. And Mm -hmm. so I'm starting to sort of plan out what this next chapter looks like. Mm, I love that. And for women that, because this is a question that comes up so much on the podcast and at retreats and things like that. So for women who feel a little, for lack of a better word, stuck, like they just don't even know what to do or where to go, what are some questions or what is some reflection that they could start doing to get in touch with that part of them that, for me, the way I look at it is not like a new part of them they have to find. It's a part that's always been there that's just been tucked away or temporarily forgotten for a while. But how would you suggest people, especially women, start to get in touch with that part? 
Yeah, I think there are a lot of questions to ask. I, I'll I'll take you through a couple. So the the first one is, you know, what does it mean to be stuck, and then what does it look like to be unstuck? Right. I think sometimes we use words, and those words have very heavy feelings connected to it. Mm. So I can see even when I say the word stuck, I can feel myself just feeling ah. And then you also can add on to that question if you ever say, "I don't know what to do." You know, ask yourself, "Is that true?" Yeah. <laughs> or is that true? Or are there some things that you don't feel like doing right now, and that's okay too, right? Are there some ideas that you have that you're just not acting on? Um, the next question that I would ask are typically our lives. It's they're big and they have parts to it, and so. Not to say that your whole life feels stuck or things you're completely unhappy. What specifically, what are pieces of your world that may not be working for you? And make sure that you zero in on those pieces as opposed to having an ice tray effect into every single thing that you're doing, right? Um, kind of bite size it. And then I love to do this exercise. There's There are two parts of this. One is simply asking, how would someone else see my situation? You might just have a vague opportunity people that you know, how might they view where I am right now in life? And the second thing is you can find a muse. So think of someone that you really admire that you think is so amazing. It could be a celebrity or it could be someone in your life and do kind of a freaky Friday. If they jumped into your life right now, would they feel stuck? What would they do? What ideas would they come up with? The reason to do that final piece is that sometimes if we're feeling stuck, if we're feeling down and we're feeling in a transition, again, our brains are a little bit cloudy. So just the exercise of pretending that somebody jumped into your life and made some different decisions can be life-changing. Mm, I love that. I love that. <laughs> Let me give somebody else a CEO title for my life for a while. That sounds that sounds very nice, actually. <laughs> Oh, this is so great. So you have your book coming out really this week, right? November 28th? November 28th. Yeah. And can you tell us a little more about the book? Yes. So I'm very excited about this book. I can say this to you, Christine. I, I love your podcast and everything you're about. I was very vulnerable in this book and I made some decisions. I tell a lot about my life story, my relationship with my father growing up. He was a musician and what I learned from that. I talk about my uncle Barry who suffered from schizophrenia and what I learned from mm -hmm. him around listening and mental health. But the book is The Power of Conscious Connection. So it has both the very personal connection to my readers, to who I am and what that journey, what I've learned through that journey. But it also has hardcore leadership skills that we can apply to work and we can apply to life. I have put in here stories of clients that experiences that I've had over the last 10 years and how we've used the shift and how we've used skills to solve simple, seemingly simple problems and big problems. And so the book is based on the love framework, listening, observation, value, and engage. And so I take you through that framework and talk about the associated leadership skills to master those particular habits that I'm proposing that we master every day. And that's really how I've lived my life since the time I was a single mom <laughs> with not a dollar. It's the, I, I have doubled down on those skills and it has never failed me. It literally mm. solved every problem I've ever had. It, I won't say solved, it's, it's addressed and managed and made me feel very confident and happy about us, a long list of life challenges. Mm. I love that. Well, you are such an inspiration and you need to do guided meditations or a podcast or something because you have an incredible voice as well. And there's such love and 
what's the other word? I feel it. I'm trying to name it. It's like love and depth and compassion that comes through your voice. And I just acknowledge you for being a really embodied leader because I, I feel that through your presence. So everybody, power of conscious connection, go grab it. Where can we follow you or connect with you more online? Yes. Well, thank you so much, Christine. I feel the same way about you. And I'm just so grateful for this work that you're doing for people. You can follow me at Talia Fox Speaks on Instagram. I also am very active on LinkedIn. So particularly, you know, anyone in the corporate world or even personally, you can send me a message and I will get back to you. So just so happy to, to connect. And I hope that something that we shared here today will be really helpful and useful for people. Oh, beautiful. Well, thank you so much for being here today. I love the conversation. I did too. You're wonderful. <laughs>